Story two of Four SF Stories by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story number two of Four SF Stories by Mac Reynolds. The Martians and the Coys. This story was first published in Imagination Stories of Science and Fantasy, June 1951. Ma Coy climbed the fence down at the end of the south pasture and started up the side of the creek carrying her bundle over her shoulder and puffing slightly at her exertion. She forded the creek there at the place where Hank's old coon-dog Jigger was killed by the boar three years ago come next hunting season. Jumping from rock to rock across the creek made her puff even harder. Ma Coy wasn't as young as she once was. On the other side she rested a minute to light up her pipe and look carefully about her before heading up the draw. She didn't really expect to see any Martins around here, but you never knew. Besides, there might have been a revenue agent. They were getting mighty thick and mighty uppity these days. You'd think the government would have more to do than bother honest folks trying to make an honest living. The pipe lit. Ma swung the bundle back over her shoulder and started up the draw. Pa and the boys, she reckoned, were probably hungry as a passel of hound dogs by now. She'd have to hurry. When she entered the far side of the clearing she couldn't see any sign of them, so she yelled, "'You, Pa! You, Hank and Zeke!' Ma Coy liked to give the men folks warning before she came up on the hill. Hank, in particular, was mighty quick on the trigger sometimes. But there wasn't any answer. She trudged across the clearing to where the still was hidden in a cluster of pines. Nobody was there but Lim. She let the bundle down and glowered at him. Lim, you no account. Why didn't you answer me when I hollered? He grinned at her vacuously, not bothering to get up from where he sat whittling his back to an old oak. Huh? he said. A thin trickle of brown ran from the side of his mouth and through the stubble on his chin. I said how come you didn't answer when I hollered, he said. You called Pa and Hank and Zeke. You didn't holler for me. What you got there, Ma, huh? His watery eyes were fixed on the bundle. Ma Coy sighed deeply and sat down on a tree stump. Now, what you think I got here, Lim? I've been bringing your vittles to you every day since Pa and you boys started up this new still. Where's Pa and Zeke and Hank? Lim scratched himself with the stick he'd been whittling on. Uh, they went off scouting round for the revenuers, or maybe the Martins. He let his mouth fall open and peered wistfully into the woods. He added, I wish I could shoot me a Martin, Ma. I wish I could. I sure wish I could shoot me a Martin. The idea excited him. He brought his hulking body to its feet and went over to pick up an ancient shotgun from where it leaned against a mash barrel. Ma Coy was taking corn pone, some cold fried salt pork, and a quart of blackstrap molasses from her bundle and arranging it on the top of an empty keg. You mind yourself with that gun now, Lim. Mind how you shot up your foot that time. Lim didn't hear her. He was stroking the stock of his shotgun absently. 
I could do it easy, he muttered. I could shoot me Martin easy. I, I sure could, ma. I'd show Hank and Zeke. I, I would. You forget about the Martin, son, Ma Coy said softly. You're my simple son. There's at least one in every family, mostly more, and it ain't fitting that you get into fights. You got a strong back, strongest in the hills, but you're too simple, Lim. I ain't as simple as Jim Martin, Ma, Lim protested. Son, they don't come no more simple than you, his mother told him gently. And mind that gun. You know how you bent the barrel of Zeke's Winchester back double that time, absent-minded like. He stroked the gun stock, patted it, half in anger, half in protest. His lower lip hung down in a pout. You stop talking that way, Ma, he growled, or I'll larp you one. Maka didn't answer. She reckoned she'd better set off into the woods and see if she could locate the rest of the men folks so they could eat. Lim said under his breath, Ma could shoot me a ma real easy, I could. To the Most High, the Glorious, the Omnipotent, Omnipresent, and Omniscient, the Lord of the Seven, the Leader of the Chosen, Neo Geek, the Thirty Eighth, in regard to testing of special weapons designed to eliminate present population of the third planet with the eventual view of colonizing from c g l one commander of space cruiser twelve b four four your omnipotence upon the receipt of your orders we proceeded to the planet in question known to its inhabitants as earth or terra first touching at its satellite luna in order to pick up the observation group which has been studying the potential foe for several decals. Commander of the observation group, Baron Dahl, has enjoyed the reputation of being our most outstanding authority on earthlings. It has been principally through his recommendations that the secret supplementary weapons worked upon for the past decal were devised. Baron Dahl has successfully deciphered the principal language of Earth, and, through listening to their radio emanations, has compiled a formidable work on his findings, but of his abilities more later. It might be added here that Baron Dahl and all his group were more than ready to proceed to Earth and begin the slaughter of its inhabitants. It seems that these investigators have for decals listened most carefully to every radio emanation possible to pick up. This has evidently led them to the edge of complete frenzy, especially those who have been assigned the morning programs, sometimes known as soap operas by the earthlings. Baron Dahl inspected the newly created weapons with considerable care and proclaimed them excellent for our purposes. In particular, he was impressed with the IQ depressor, the deadly poison, Nork, and the lepbonic plague carrying fleas. He was convinced that these secret weapons would give our forces that advantage we seek before launching our all-out attack upon Earth. Acting on Darl's suggestions, we avoided the more heavily populated areas of 
Earth and landed our space cruiser in a mountainous area of the planet known as Kentucky, a subdivision of the United States of America, one of the more advanced Earth nations. Our plans did not work out exactly as expected. Keeping well in mind the need for secrecy, we made every attempt to land the space cruiser without detection. We settled in a small valley near a stream, and immediately sent out scouts to determine if there was any sign that our craft had been sighted in descent. Evidently the population of the vicinity was so small that our plans were successful. Our patrols reported only one small group of earthlings in the immediate area. Deciding to test the new weapons on this gathering, we disembarked a force of a dozen warriors, all disguised as earthlings, and with myself as commander and Baron Dahl as our technical adviser. We must keep our senses alert for Sam Spade, Superman, and the Lone Ranger. Barrendall said nervously, peering around among the strange exotic trees and other vegetation that grows on earth. I was somewhat surprised at his tone and obvious unease. Who? I asked. What? Three Terran warriors of amazing ability and viciousness, he told me. I have been gathering reports of their activities from the radio for some time. They seem to have clairvoyant minds. One or the other of them almost invariably appears on the scene of violence. I said impatiently, Without doubt our weapons would mean the end of these warriors. I did not share his belief that any earthling warriors might be our equals or superiors, but to remain on the cautious side I immediately ordered that the elect no be switched on. This weapon, one of the several designed for the Earth campaign, as your omnipotence is undoubtedly aware, is so constructed as to prevent the use of any internal combustion engine within a dozen miles of the elect no. In this case, no aircraft, no land craft, utilizing internal combustion could enter our zone. Baron Dahl seemed somewhat relieved at this precaution, but his attitude to a certain extent began to affect the rest of us. To prepare for any eventuality I had the fission suppressor activated. This, of course, automatically made it impossible for nuclear fission to take place within a hundred miles of our ship. That measure pleased Baron Dahl exceedingly, in view of the fact that the Earth nations seemed to be spending practically all of their military appropriations on their so-called A-bombs and H-bombs. According to the radio emanations our lunar base had picked up, the Earthlings were interested in little else in a military way except possibly bacteriological weapons, and of course we were prepared to deal them a strong blow along that line with our lepbonic plague-spreading fleas. At any rate, knowing that we had suppressed the use of their major weapon, the fission bomb, and had prevented transportation from entering the vicinity, 
we proceeded toward the clearing where the earthlings had gathered, determined to test the IQ depressor, Nork, and the Lebonic Plague Fleas, for it was upon the success of these weapons that our Earth campaign depended. We proceeded with care toward the clearing on the edge of which our scouts had detected the earthlings, and carefully approached from behind the one specimen we saw there. Evidently the others had gone off. Baron Dahl, the only member of our little group who was familiar with the language, acted as spokesman, and we concealed for the moment at least the purpose of our visit. The following conversation was recorded by Baron Dahl himself, and later translated as literally as possible into our own superior language. Earthling. Huh? What's that? Berendal. Have no fear. Earthling. Revenors! Pa! Hank! The meaning of the word Revenors was completely unknown to Berendal, but from the earthling's tone of voice it is to be assumed that the term is a derogatory one. Berendal. We are not revenors, we are friends. Earthling. Huh? Berendal. We are not revenors, we are friends. Earthling, suspiciously. Well, you can't have no free corn if that's what you're looking for. Can't buy none either. Pa won't sell no raw corn. Says corn ain't fitten to drink if it ain't been aged a week. This conversation seemed to puzzle Barandal, and I was beginning to suspect already that his knowledge of the earthlings was somewhat less than he had led me to believe. Barandal, where are the others? Earthling. Huh? This continual inability on the earthling's part to understand the questions put to him by Barandal also caused me to wonder whether or not the decals spent on Luna in observing Earth were quite as fruitful as they might have been. Berendal. Where are the others? Earthling. Oh, you mean Ma and Pa and Hank and Zeke? Uh, they're off looking for Martins. Your omnipotence is of course aware that in the language of the earthlings our glorious planet is known as Mars, and we as Martians, or evidently as this earthling pronounced it, Martins. This information was, as you can well imagine, startling, since we had supposed that our landing had been made in the most complete secrecy. What means they had utilized to discover us is unknown. Berendal. Ah. Uh, and er, what made them suspect there were Martians in the vicinity? Earthling. Huh? Berendal. What made Ma and Pa and Hank and Zeke think there were Martians around? Earthling. Oh. Berendal. What made them think there were Martians about? Earthling. Paul says he can smell him a martin from most twenty miles away. 
Pa's got a regular feeling for Martin's like. Pa'd rather shoot him a Martin than eat fried chicken. I wish I could shoot me a Martin. I wish. Yep, I sure wish I could shoot me a Martin. I wish. This sixth sense of some of the earthlings had been unsuspected by Barrandall, in spite of his decals of investigation. Evidently the earthlings have an unusual ability to detect the presence of alien life-forms. Also surprising was the fact that the earthlings were evidently aware of our plans to conquer their planet, and were already working up to a pitch of patriotism which made them extremely anxious to destroy us. Baron Dahl turned to me and explained that there were four more of the earthlings in the woods searching for us, and that undoubtedly they would soon return. He suggested that we immediately try some of our weapons upon this specimen. The plan seemed feasible enough, so I ordered one of the warriors to find a suitable liquid in which to place a portion of the poison nook. Ultimate plans, as you are aware, have been to drop by spacecraft small containers of nork in the reservoirs, rivers, and lakes of the earthlings. One drop was designated to be, as your omnipotence knows, sufficient to poison a reservoir capable of supplying the water needs of a hundred thousand earthlings. Although water was not available, the warrior was soon able to find what was obviously a container for some type of beverage. It was nearly full of a colorless fluid. The following conversation then took place between Baron Dahl and the Earthling. Baron Dahl. What is this? Earthling. Huh? Oh, that's white mule. Yep, sure is. Barrandall, puzzled. I thought a mule was a four-legged animal of burden particularly noted for kicking. Earthling, vaguely. Paw's white mule's got lots of kick in it. Yep. Upon finding it was a beverage, as we had suspected, a small quantity of nark was quickly inserted. Barrandall. Try a drink. Earthling. What say? Barrandall. Have a drink. Earthling. Uh, maybe I will, but don't tell Pa. Pa says I'm simple enough without no white mule. Here he took a long draft without seeming effect, although we were expecting him to fall dead at our feet. We stood there staring at him unbelievingly. Earthling. That tasted mighty good. Got more of a kick than usual. Uh, yep, sure did. Tasted like uh, maybe somebody put in a wallop of turpentine. He seemed perfectly at ease. I turned to Baron Dahl and snapped. The type of poison you recommended seems less than effective. Baron Dahl was obviously shocked. It is inconceivable, he said. Possibly the fluid in which we dissolved the nark acted as an antidote. I turn my back on him angrily. I begin to wonder about the effect of your other weapons. 
he waved to one of the warriors who had been burdened with the IQ depressor. "'We'll try this immediately,' he said, anxiety in his tone. While the machine was being readied, Baron Dahl explained its workings to me in some detail. Meanwhile the earthling continued to sip at the jug, which supposedly contained sufficient poison to eliminate an average large Terran city. As you know, Baron Dahl told me, the mind, whether of earthlings or Martian type, is capable of being either stimulated or depressed. For hundreds of decals our race has possessed chemicals capable of such depression or stimulation. However, to my knowledge this device is the only one yet developed which can suppress the intelligence quotient of anyone within an area of many square miles. The plan for utilizing it is a simple but effective one. When we confront a body of earthling soldiery, our men need only to turn on the IQ depressor to turn the enemy into brainless idiots. Their defeat would then obviously be quite simple. Very well, I told him stiffly. Let us proceed to try it on this earthling. The device seemed quite elementary in construction. Baron Dahl activated it by the simple flicking of a switch. We ourselves, of course, were immune to its workings, since it was tuned only to the Earth-type brain. Is it now in operation? I asked Baron Dahl. Definitely watch the Earthling. I am watching. The supposed top authority on Earth and Earthlings approached the specimen and eyed him carefully. The following conversation ensued. Baron Dahl, how do you feel? Earthling. Huh? Baron Dahl seemed pleased at this response, and indeed it would seem that the subject was on the verge of idiocy. Baron Dahl, how do you feel? Earthling. I guess I feel fine. Yep, yep, feel fine. How do you feel, stranger? Baron Dahl, scowling. Does your head feel somewhat different? Does your mind seem more sluggish? Earthling. Huh? Baron Dahl. Does your thinking seem weaker? Earthling. Mm, nope, can't say it does, stranger. <laughs> Fact is, it'd be pretty hard to make my thinking much weaker. <laughs> yup, sure would. Baron Dahl stared at him for a long period unbelievingly. Obviously the IQ depressor had been worthless as far as undermining the Earthling's intelligence is concerned. Finally this alleged authority on Earthlings and upon Earth affairs flashed a look of despair at me and at the others of us who stood around him. The fleas! He blurted finally, the Lepbonic Plague Fleas. This weapon alone might well destroy the whole population of Earth. Bring the fleas. I said coldly, We shall see, Baron Dull. Then to one of the warriors, Bring the fleas that carry this so 
deadly, so barren doll tells us, lepbonic plague. The earthling was ignoring us now, and had gone back to taking an occasional drink from his jug. Our warrior approached carefully from behind him, and dropped a half-dozen of the supposedly deadly insects upon the earthling's back. We then stood back and watched cautiously. According to Baron Dahl, the fast-spreading disease should take effect almost immediately. The earthling sat there, the IQ depressor still turned on, but obviously unable to lower his intelligence and iota. He continued to sip from the jug of white mule, which had enough nork in it to kill thousands. Occasionally he scratched himself. "'Ah, guess I'll take me a nap,' he said thickly, his words slurred. He scratched himself once again, yawned deeply, and slumped against the tree, obviously in sleep. Barrendall looked at me triumphantly. "'The reaction is somewhat different than we'd expected, but obviously the fleas have given him lepbonic plague. This weapon at least is as successful as we had—' I peered down at the earthling suspiciously. His clothes were disarrayed and torn. I pointed at a speck on his uncouthly hairy chest. "'And what is that?' I snapped at Baron Dahl. He bent down to see what I indicated. "'It seems to be one of the fleas,' he told me. Then what is it doing on its back with its feet up in the air? It seems indisposed. It seems dead, you numbskull, I roared at him. After biting this earthling your fleas have died. In a high rage I strode up and down the clearing trying to coordinate my thoughts to the point where I could make an intelligent decision on this situation. Obviously a crisis was at hand. Using these weapons devised by our scientists after detailed instructions on their construction by Baron Dahl and his group of efficient experts would obviously be suicidal. They were completely worthless. I came to a snap conclusion. Our plan must be to reveal ourselves to the earthlings as Martians, and pretend to come bearing them only good will and desire for peace and commerce. A few months on their planet, closely but unbeknown to them studying their life-form, should give us ample opportunity to plan more effective weapons against them. This, then, was my decision. I snapped to Barrendal. Awaken the Earthman. Tell him that we are Martians and that we seek peace with the inhabitants of Earth. There was some difficulty in the awakening, but finally Barrendal succeeded. The Earthling shook his head groggily and scowled at my interpreter. The following conversation ensued. Barrendal, Awaken! We have a message of great importance for you. Earthling, Huh? Barrendal, We have a message for you. 
earthling rolling over on his other side. Oh! Barandal said impressively, In the name of the Most High, the Glorious, the Omnipotent, Omnipresent and Omniscient, the Lord of the Seven, the Leader of the Chosen, Neo-Geek, the Thirty-Eighth, we bring you greetings from the Martians. Earthling. Huh? Barandal, we Martians offer you the friendship and the goodwill of a people that— Earthling. Martins? Are you Martins? Barandal, that is correct. We Martians come with the greetings and— At this point, your omnipotence, my account must of necessity be somewhat vague. For even after we had made good our escape back to the space cruiser, bearing our more serious casualties with us, we were unable to agree among ourselves on just what had happened. Baron Dahl, who is now under arrest and in the darkest recess of the space cruiser 12B44, laden down with chains, is of the opinion that the earthling was none other than either superman or the lone ranger in disguise he contends that both of these earthling warriors are prone to adapt disguises in this manner revealing themselves only at the last moment to their enemies suffice to say however that we were all successful in making good our retreat to the space cruiser although all of our equipment and supplies were destroyed in the melee Upon regaining the spacecraft, we blasted off hurriedly to return to our own sacred planet. I recommend, Your Omnipotence, that the plans to subjugate the planet Earth be indefinitely postponed, in view of the fact that our specially designed weapons proved worthless, and in particular view of the abilities of Earthling warriors. I further recommend that the unspeakable Baron Dahl who obviously frittered away his time during the decals spent on Luna, supposedly studying the Earthlings, be sent to the Naribus salt mines. Obediently, Sigil One, Commander, Space Cruiser Twelve B Forty Four. Ma and Pa Coy and Hank and Zeke came back into the clearing wearily. The boys had done a lot of tramping and were hungry for their vittles, and Ma was feeling bodacious about their taking off to go hunting for Martins. Pa had told her to shut up two or three times, but it hadn't been much use. Lim was sitting on an upended mash barrel, loading his old shotgun and grinning vacuously. He seemed unaware of the fact that the stock of the gun was a splintered ruin. "'Guess what, Pa?' he yelled. I got me a Martin. I got me a whole passel of Martins, Pa. I sure did. Yup, I— Pa Coy grunted and started poking around in the vittles Ma had brought up from the cabin. The boys leaned their rifles up against the oak and each picked up a handy fruit jar of corn squeezins. Hank said nastily, Sure you got a whole passel of Martins, Lim. In your sleep you got a passel of Martins. Lim said belligerently, "'Don't you go talking that away, Hank, or I'll, I'll throw you up into the tree the way I did that time you hit me with the axe.' 
I did so get me some Martins. I was settin' here when a whole passel come out in the woods. Didn't know there was Martins at first, then— Ma Coy handed him a chunk of corn-pone. Now you be quiet, Lem, and eat your vittles. Sure, you got yourself a Martin, Lem. A thin trickle of brown ran down from the side of Lem's mouth. He spit on the ground before him with an air of happy belligerence. I sure did, Ma. I sure got me a passel of Martins. Yep, I sure did. End of Martians and the Coys.